3: everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music as we cruise on into tuesday here rhino we, howdy, are, howdy. we are exactly 2 weeks from the elections here across the great state of mississippi it's coming down to the wire is it not Sorta. Of. Well, when when do we get <laughs> when do we get
2: there? Well, I mean, if the Democrat governors are to be believed, it's a lot closer than I think it is. Okay. But then again, that's the same old thing that comes out about this time, every election cycle.
3: Yeah, I I, I fear you're right in that respect. I'm getting uh, bombarded with uh, email communications from the Democrat Party. Now, just to clarify folks, I signed up for it so I could keep up. Not because I've given any money or have attended any events, but I did sign up for the notifications. I, I like to keep up with what other folks are saying. So today, I think it's today, or maybe it's tomorrow, pardon me, yeah, tomorrow, I believe, there is an event. Yep, October 25th, Wednesday, 10 a.m., on the South Capitol steps. Robert Johnson, state House Minority Leader, along with Derek Simmons, also a Democrat, state Senate Minority Leader, Chris Bell, the Black Caucus Chair. Now, Representative... Johnson's been on program a few times. He hails from southwest Mississippi, the Natchez area. They're having an event tomorrow, another Save Our Hospitals tour. They're hosting a press conference to cap off the Save Our Hospitals. It appears that Legislative Black Black Caucus Chair Chris Bell will hold this conference. He's the one that called it on the South Capitol steps the purpose of which is to highlight the state's hospital crisis. Except the only thing they've offered is Medicaid expansion. They really haven't offered anything else. And and honestly, I may That won't even
2: come close to solving the quote-unquote crisis.
3: No, it, it won't. And so you're not serious about addressing the problem. Well,
2: Democrats aren't serious to begin with.
3: Well, I mean, should that be part of the conversation? Well, sure, but that's just one element. Here's the deal. You're not serious, in my view, about addressing this issue unless you convene the people that are dealing with this every day from the health care community. That is something the governor did, and thus he announced... uh, A month or so ago, some improvements in existing Medicaid funding without costing the state taxpayers anything. The existing coverage groups, traditional Medicaid, some $700 million would flow to health care providers, primarily hospitals, who treat patients through the Medicaid program. But that being said, these problems are a lot more complex than just that. This is a nationwide problem, honestly. We shared, I think, yesterday that Kaiser Family Foundation, whom I consider the foremost authority on health care policy, healthcare economics, they're excellent, I would submit they're a little left-leaning whenever they publish more opinion-related articles, but from a facts perspective, they're pretty dang good. And they are relied upon by Folks on the left and right of health care policy for information. And they say that premiums are expected to be for family coverage. That would be, that'd be a, uh, an employee, their spouse, and their family. $24,000 a year on average in individual coverage. Close to a thousand bucks a month in 2024, that is what they estimate. So uh, it's hard to say that the Affordable Care Act made insurance affordable, health care affordable, because it continues to spiral upward, has been as long as I can remember, honestly, having been an employer for a long time and having to hit that hip to uh, to pay the employer's share of employee coverage in a group plan. But so what are the democrats going to offer here? Uh, here
2: here's what. Emotion, lies, deceit, stupidity, willful <laughs> ignorance. Shall I continue?
3: <laughs> nice summary. <laughs> so, Mr. Presley, says, I, I, th- this is just class warfare in, in my view, being interjected into this race for governor. My daddy was murdered the first day I was in the third grade, and my mother was a widow and a single parent that struggled every single day just to pay the bills. Now look, I, I'm sorry as can be, I don't know anybody that doesn't feel some degree of, uh, of sadness, of course. Uh, about Mr. Presley's personal situation, losing a, a parent at a young age, you've been through that, is, is difficult. There's no doubt about it, and it puts enormous pressure on a household, and it, and it, it sort of uh, turns upside down the lives of the family. There's no doubt about that. It upends it. What that has to do with being governor now, I don't know. He says, I understand, and I'm reading from the press release, it's a transcript from an ad. I understand where working people are in Mississippi. Everybody cannot be born rich and lucky, and that's why you need a governor that will stand up for the values of Mississippi. Really?
2: Is that why he deleted the social media post of him on the private jet? Probably. Because it doesn't quite jive with the blue-collar
3: BS he's spewing? That was a photo that also included his wife, correct? I believe so. He says, I'm running this race on the values that I learned in my small hometown where I was mayor, and I cut taxes twice, a town that's near and dear to my heart. The values of small-town leadership where in elected office you can do the things that help other people because that's what it's all about. Tate Reeves doesn't care about working people. If you can write a campaign check, you're shut. If you can't, pardon me, write a campaign check, you're shut out of state government. So, for all those in Mississippi that are left out, that Tate Reeves doesn't know exists, when my name goes on the ballot in November, your name goes on the ballot in November. Interesting little uh, equivalents drawn there. So it just feels like, however, that there's kind of some identity politics. It's it's more economic identity politics that suggests that you can't possibly address the state's most critical issues unless you came from a small town, unless you grew up in similar circumstances. Really? Really? Why does that even matter? What does that have to do with our issues? And when you talk about working people, does that mean we don't care about people who don't work, like retired people? Children? As an example, you know what our challenge is? Not enough people working. We still have an incredibly low labor participation rate, if I'm not mistaken, the lowest in the country. And a lot of that's somewhat out of our hands. It's, uh, it's a combination of the federal largesse, keeping folks at home. And when I think about that, because I read a report this morning also, there's a record number of males in their prime working age that aren't working. Like 5 million on the sidelines. Now I get it, they're receiving government benefits essentially just to stay alive. But is that the total of their aspirations? Just to live a life of that? I mean, it's not like you're getting rich off of that. You're just barely getting by, honestly. And that's sufficient? That's all you want out of life? With this tremendous amount of opportunity? Or is it if we just kind of fomented a society of laziness, well, that's my concern. Mr. Presley should be talking about this. What about all the people on the sidelines who aren't working? We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio Brian Lamar super talk opinion writer at 10:35. We are back in the Element Wealth studio. Are you thinking about or planning for a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The kangaroo been hopping northward all morning. I like to see it after some... Rather bloody days on the markets the last few. The Dow presently up 233. It's approached 300 earlier in the session. The NASDAQ also up uh, almost a point at 100 points, almost a percent I should say. All the indexes up, uh, Oil down two bucks today to $83. I've seen a little bit of pullback at the pump as a result, but it's incredibly volatile, no doubt. So on the C Spire text line, it uh, appears someone doesn't agree with our perspective here, Rhino, and that's perfectly fine. We welcome all points of view on the program, and uh, sometimes we'll share them, sometimes we won't. We have that uh, prerogative here, as uh, everybody understands, but there's not too many that get biased. This one here says, Speaks to character. We're talking about Brandon Presley, and he's really hyping up his his upbringing and is serving as a mayor of a small town. And he's running uh, to represent the working people and not just the ones who were born rich and lucky. You mean like all hundred in the state? I mean, we don't have a lot. I'd like to see us have more, honestly. What's wrong with that, Man. man? Bravo to those who created wealth, who earned wealth. Because society liked what they did. It's real simple. What did? How did Tate Reeves figure into that? That's crazy. Says it speaks to character, work ethic, versus being raised with silver spoon in your mouth, ability to relate to poverty. So you can only relate to poverty if you've been poor. Is that the idea? Only relate to poverty. Well, see, this this brings up the question. I've been poor
2: and you couldn't pay me to vote for Brandon Presley.
3: (laughs) This brings up the question again that should be central. And that is, what is the proper role of government? Is it to just start handing money out? Hey, we we handed some money out, we eliminated poverty. Remember Biden bragging about we eliminated child poverty by some, I don't know, percent that they calculated. And it was just because they just handed money out. They sent money, literally. Here's money. Here's stimulus checks. Here's, here's child care credits. Here's child tax credits. Here's a moratorium on student loans. Boom, look what we did. We handed money out. We just dropped it out of helicopters and magically... People weren't poor anymore. Really? But was any wealth created as a result of that? Uh, Let me put it this way. Was any productivity for society and value for society created? Because if you just drop money out of helicopters, and there's no corresponding productivity associated with that, you know what you just did? Inflated the dollar. That's what you just did. You just made everything more expensive for everybody. That's why we've witnessed 17 percent inflation since Biden's been in office.
2: You want to talk about politics and poverty, you got a real clear picture right here in the Magnolia State of the difference in voting Republican and voting Democrat. Look at the Delta. How do they vote? Who represents them in Congress? Versus the entire rest of the state. It's a good point. And spare me on the character when he's running as a Democrat,
3: the party that loves to kill babies. So this person says if Reeves had Presley's um, upbringing, you would be touting it. I'm conservative, but the spin gets old. No, I, I don't really pay that much attention to a person's upbringing. When, when a person is, adult, is an adult, If they're uh, one who is of high integrity and character and competence, and they're stable in their home and their professional life, you pretty much could count on the fact that they had a positive, enlightening, and productive upbringing. Those work hand in hand. And in fact... That's the root cause of the poverty. That's just a statistical fact. It's not because of something government did or did not do. That's what the left believes. Not at all. It's because they lacked the proper environment to prepare them for a productive adult life. just across the board. In the state of Mississippi, unfortunately, we have the highest number of of fatherless homes. That's a problem in our state, and and it ties into a lot. What the governor understands to me, and the reason I support him, is the proper role of government. Now, we certainly could debate that, but in my view, what the role of government should be, he, he aligns with that philosophy, and that's what it should be. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Donald Trump won this state rather overwhelmingly. He would be an example of a person that grew up wealthy, mega wealthy, wealthier, I believe, than anybody in this state. Yet think about it. Who supports him? The working class. Not the rich elites. They can't stand him. They support the Democrats. Where's Brandon Presley getting his money from? The rich elites. The Democrat liberal rich elites that think this country is evil and wicked,
2: that want to reimagine it. Oh, but you can't paint him with the same brush as all those national Democrats. Yeah, we can. He took their money, he's running as a Democrat. If he didn't want to, he didn't have to take their money. He could have ran as an independent.
3: And the idea that they won't expect something in return is laughable. Totally laughable. It's politics. Of course they expect something in return. For such, especially for such a large sum. We're not talking about a little casual donation here. We're talking millions. About three, uh, about a half of his take, right, I believe, came from the Democratic Governors Association. Man, it does have everything to do with handing money out. See, that's the fundamental problem. That's what the person on the c tax line says, is that to the Democrats, the role of government is to hand money out. It's to take from this pocket and put it in that one. That's what they think. They absolutely do. And while I applaud Mr. Presley for cutting taxes in Nettleton, I don't really have any details about that. I, you're fairly limited at a city. Have to be some sort of ad valorem taxes. You can't cut sales taxes. That comes from the uh, the state government. That's those are the two sources of revenue to municipalities in Mississippi. My guess is in a town like Nettleton, it was mostly sales taxes. That's typically the case. Pr- probably don't have a lot of property that's uh, of a high degree of value in the city limits that would be subject to ad valorem taxes. Uh, It just depends on the municipality. When you look at their financial statements, the the breakdown of revenue from those two sources. Okay, so that's great. Um, And he said, yeah, I want to cut the grocery sales tax. Well, the governor said, send me a bill that cuts the grocery sales tax. If it doesn't raise any other taxes, I'm for it. Because he's always for cutting taxes. But his goal is to totally eliminate the income tax, which would be orders of magnitude. More valuable to the state on a long-term basis. That's just fact. And I tell you something else, guys. And I know I've harped on it before. We got this purge problem and this five percent increase on employers. That's going to cost taxpayers three hundred forty-five million bucks a year. By the way, across all jurisdictions. Not talking about just the state government, but you pay taxes in your in your muni- municipality in your county. You pay taxes there, those fund, those benefits, those those fund contributions uh, to the program. So we got that coming up. I've not heard a lot about that. I have talked to the governor privately about some ideas uh, with PERS, and you're going to see more discussion of this, but right now that's not even an issue on the table during the election, but I... I completely uh, disagree. I appreciate the caller's perspective, or the texter's perspective here, but I, I, I disagree that one has to live some certain lifestyle in order to be effective at addressing the issues that affect various um, demographics and, and just citizens. I, I disagree with that. No, nobody can live every possible lifestyle and have the... Biden can. You know, At least he claims he can. Yeah. He just lies his butt off about it all the time. We're coming right back with Brian Lamar, Super Talk opinion writer, going to discuss his life in Japan. Stay with us. Long
0: way down, a long way down. Attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
4: I got rice cooking in the microwave Got a three-day beard. I don't plan to shave And it's a goofy thing, but I just gotta say Hey, I'm a doing all right Yeah, I think I'll make me some homemade soup. I'm feeling pretty good, and that's the truth It's neither drink nor drug-induced No, I'm just doing all right and it's a great day to be alive.
2: I know the sun's still shining
3: when I We are back in the Element Well studio. We thank you for joining us. Brian Lamar, Super Talk Opinion Writer, joins us now. Hey, Brian. Hey, h- hey sir. How's it going? Uh, thanks for having me on the air. You bet. So uh, I read your your piece that's uh, published at Super Talk Mississippi Media, entitled "A Mississippian in Japan: Trading Hurricanes for Typhoons." Tell us about that experience.
4: Well, um, you know the thing is, uh, before I moved out here to Japan, um, you know I lived on the Mississippi Gulf Coast for quite some time and uh, experienced a few. Nice wallops of uh, hurricanes, and when I got out here to Okinawa, I found out they have typhoons, and I always thought, uh, growing up, I always thought that they spun the other way or something like that, but they're actually the same exact thing, they just (laughs) call it something different over here on on the Pacific side.
3: Okay, so they do spin in the same direction then.
4: Yeah, it's not till you get south of the equator, uh, then they spin the opposite It's The whole Coriolis effect, and I don't want to get into an eighth-grade science uh, lesson here, but uh, it's uh, it's funny because we're you know we're above the equator over here uh, in Japan, and uh, and they get the they get the typhoons now. They're they're pretty big. Uh, they, they get they get a lot of uh, running room across the Pacific, and they pick up a lot of speed and they pack a punch.
3: Yeah. So you were at uh, Presidio. In Monterey, it's beautiful. I've played golf out there before.
4: Oh yeah, so uh, the, yeah, there's lots of good golf out there, and um, I got a chance. I was a sergeant, uh, first class, out at the Presidio, Monterey, when I was still uh, active duty Army, and I had a chance to go out to Pebble Beach and uh, and volunteer out there uh,
3: for their Callaway Classic. That was a lot of a lot of fun. Yeah, that that is awesome. All right, so how did you end up in Japan? So, uh,
4: yeah, I was working at the CB base out there in Gulfport. Uh, I was the installation public affairs officer, and uh, my my boys were getting old enough that uh, they were starting to really settle in and put down roots and, uh, you know, getting to the point where my older son was – uh, starting to talk to girls, and I thought, oh, he's going to get a girlfriend any day now, and he's never going to want to leave. So, I figured this is uh, a good time to get out of town and uh, and go take my kids and show them uh, what the rest of the world lives like uh, before we come back.
3: Interesting. So, what does it look like? What? How would you contrast life uh, in Japan versus, say, life in Mississippi? So
4: uh, the first thing that you'll notice if you get over to Japan, um, let's just say uh, Tokyo for one. Tokyo is the largest metropolitan area in the world. It's they got a, roughly about forty million people living in the city, and um, it sounds terrible. It sounds awful, actually. Uh, you know, just just think about the the mass amount of folks that are that are crammed into one town. Um, but uh, what you won't find is uh, a lick of garbage uh, anywhere. I mean, they, they just—it's clean as can be. Uh, if you ride on the trains, you ride on the buses. There's no loudmouth or somebody on their phone on speakerphone. You know, you know, you've seen them before. It's—it's—it's a—it's—it's it's annoying. Uh, but you won't see that kind of stuff. And um, and it's almost as a to to a person, all 40 million of them to a person, they they do not tolerate. Uh, what I'm what I'm calling antisocial behavior um, where it just when you don't uh, when you don't act right and and uh be respectful of others and there's something to that um and and it's not like they get up and get in your face about it or anything is we uh me and my my wife we like to joke about it they they stare at us in japanese if we're too loud on the train or something like that uh uh, they got this they got this special stare that they'll give you and it just it, it makes you feel like you're about two inches tall so um you just you just behave and uh and that means that all 40 million people in this city uh they go around they don't litter they don't uh they don't don't fight and holler and all that stuff like that they just it's it's a very um, it's a very peaceful and safe society and uh and i i got to give it to them they're doing something right hmm.
3: yeah 40 million people so that's essentially the population of california crammed into a city <laughs> yeah that's the entire yeah, population that, that is, of california that is correct uh, wow
4: yeah uh, you know it, it, and, and it's not just in the, the city of Tokyo anywhere you go uh you you'll find you don't find a bunch of uh panhandlers begging for change you don't find a bunch of garbage being thrown around you don't see people acting like fools in uh, in the grocery store and all that stuff like that it's just I don't I don't know they're, they're doing something right and it starts with that whole that whole society thing they just they'll shun you they'll shun you hard if you don't act right
3: hmm Interesting. So how, how did you get interested in writing? I know you've done that quite a bit. You've published quite a bit uh, of op-eds, opinion pieces. How did you get <laughs> interested in that?
4: Uh, you know, the the early age of, uh, I guess I was eight years old, second grade, uh, I wrote a, a veteran uh, profile piece on my great-grandfather who was in World War II. Actually, he was out here in Japan in World War II. Um, so now I've come full circle on this. But uh, he... Uh, he was a Marine in World War Two, and um, he. Uh, did, did the interview with me and I wrote the story uh, for the grade for Veterans Day for second grade and I got turned in and then my teacher was so impressed with it uh, she asked me to to go back to the VFW where my great-grandfather was and, uh, and do some more and I did about six of them and they, they all ran in the uh, the Times Daily which was up uh, mm. the, the paper at the time in North Alabama uh, where I was growing, growing up and um, and it it just it sparked that interest in me. Uh, I was able to tell those stories, and people were interested, and people learned something from it, and a little bit of entertainment, too, at the same time. And uh, that just kind of sparked the interest, and it's just kind of grown from there. So uh, I've been a journalist now for about 25 years.
3: Wow. So uh, any, any particular subject matter that you prefer to write about?
4: So uh, there's there's a lot of different types of writing out there, uh, but my favorite uh, I, I guess uh, I can't even say it's just my favorite. it's it's not also what I'm best at. It just seems what I naturally have gravitated toward over my career is writing that personality feature and I love telling veterans stories. Um, there are so many different stories out there. There's, I mean, some good, some bad, but, uh, but there's so many uh, heroes out there. There's so many people that, that have diverse lifestyles with great worth ec- ethic, and they're the type of people... Um, uh, by and large, you know, you, you get got your outliers in, in every uh, situation, but by and large, you, you got a group of veterans, and you're going to have people that are salt-of-the-earth type of folks, people, family people, who all they want to do is just make their, uh, their surroundings better. They want to work hard for their community. They want to work hard for their family, and they serve their country, and I love telling those stories.
3: Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, of course, we're, we're losing our World War II veterans on a daily basis, they're 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 aging out yeah. and uh, and and perishing, and that's kind of sad because you know there's just so much in their heads that's uh, so fascinating, and I think good folks like yeah. you have done a great job of of capturing those thoughts and those experiences uh, before they leave us, which is is good to keep those those stories. Uh, alive forever they should be these are these are heroes no doubt Yeah. have you talked yeah. to any vietnam-era no, veterans brian <laughs>
4: You know, I, I do. I talk to Vietnam-era veterans. They, you know, uh, talking about the World War II veterans real quick, uh, back in 2010, uh, when I was at the Presidio of Monterey, um, I found out about uh, the Library of Congress had a, a, a veterans oral history project, and uh, uh, the congressman in the in the area at the time, he, he asked me if I'd be interested in capturing some of these um, oral histories, and they're pretty intensive uh, projects. And so I only got about a dozen of them done uh, in, in the course of about a year and a half, but um, we, we got those recorded, those World War II histories recorded, uh, and they'll always be in the Library of Congress in written form and in audio form. I don't know what, if anybody will ever come across them or if they'll ever get dug up or anything, but that was nice. And um, so one of my goals when I do get back to Mississippi uh, is uh, I'm uh, a big plan of mine is to start capturing veterans uh, histories again uh, on on a like a one-on-one personality feature type scale and I'd like to put together a, 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 I don't know what a, some sort of anthology of uh, veterans in Mississippi and it's I'm going to be focusing heavily on uh, the Korean War veterans that are still around and uh, the Vietnam veterans uh, and I want to get, I want to gather their stories so their families can uh, pass those uh, anthologies down over the generations so we can capture all of these Mississippi heroes that uh, that served.
3: Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. So, what else is on the boards for you? Any any particular projects you're thinking about? You think about writing a book, perhaps?
4: Uh, you know, as I'm as I'm writing these articles uh, for SuperTalk, uh, just I'm, and the purpose of these articles that I keep writing for SuperTalk is to highlight the the similarities uh, and also the differences of our two cultures. Uh, and I've noticed that you know I've just been I've, I've been writing them, and I didn't realize until I, I talked to JT Miller about it uh, the other day, and he said he, he told me that I wouldn't believe how. Uh, popular they had been, and I I, I was flabbergasted uh, that, that to know that people were reading them, and I'm glad, I'm happy yeah. about that. But uh, I decided that I probably at some point take all of these and, and somehow try to organize them and put them together in a book.
3: Awesome, awesome. Brian, appreciate it. Enjoy re- uh, reading uh, your article, and look forward to reading some more. I appreciate your contributions uh, to Super Talk. Thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Well Studio, Natasha Serdach will join us at 12.05. Of course, she is the co-host of America's Roundtable radio program and co-founder of International Leaders Summit. She'll give us an update on the Israel-Palestine war. We'll see what's happening over there. uh, You saw two hostages released, Israeli hostages who recounted their rather harrowing experience being held captive. So these people don't care. They're just animals. Savages. We knew that, of course, did we not? Unbelievable. Joe Biden, on the other hand, still stopping short, in my view. I watched him speak yesterday of being really firm with Iran, who's sponsoring all this, funding it, and in fact, it was Joe's policies which I believe gave rise to Hamas and their attacks on Israelis in Gaza. He funded it. Let's just be honest. And now he's down there begging Venezuela. Think about this. Venezuela, please produce more of that dirty dang oil, because it's considered very heavy, dirty. Meanwhile, thousands of Venezuelans are streaming across our border. This is the party of Brandon Presley, folks. Make no mistake. You think he's different? You think he'll separate himself from all that crap? Not the people giving him three million bucks. They expect him to be totally on board. No doubt. And so this person, by the way, on the ceasefire text line says, "This, This situation has nothing to do with handing out money. Really? It doesn't? Man, that, is, that describes the Democrat playbook to a T. Take from this group, give it to that group. I read an article. Listen to this. I read an article in Time. Now, Time's pretty left-leaning. I subscribe to it. I like to see what their authors have to say. And this article, Rhino, <laughs> is about giant corporations still getting out of paying taxes. They're all aggrieved by it. And it has to do with this minimum tax that certain countries in the EU put forth. This Minimum 15% tax. You just got to tax everybody by that amount. Talking about corporations. And this is what they say that really drives them crazy. On the left, this finding, and they're talking about some $135 to $270 billion, and it's just a guess, by the EU Tax Observatory, of taxes being avoided. Not evaded, that's illegal, avoided, that's legal. Because these corporations have come up with ways to get around stupid laws. And this is what they say. This, to me, characterizes the Democrat Party, and by definition, Brandon Presley, candidate for governor of the state of Mississippi. This is what they say. This finding is a big deal because tax evasion, which it's not, they even said that in the paragraph before, it's avoid it's not evasion. They say it exacerbates global inequality, taking money that could have been used by governments for policies that improve the lives of their citizens and instead of giving it to shareholders of giant corporations. You know the people who risk their money Expecting a return. How dare them expect a return on that risk? These people have no idea. Now,
2: Now, these people think that there's some magic button that's under a glass case that has a price tag on it. Like, this glass case will end homelessness. This big button will end hunger. This big button will end poverty. And they've all got a price tag usually somewhere around 20, 30 billion. and they'll complain that oh, if they would have just spent thirty billion dollars we wouldn't have this problem anymore that is the explanation and mindset of three-year-olds these are simpletons these are midwits and they all vote Democrat because that's not how the world works it's not just simple and easy you don't just pay the price flip the
3: screen up and push the button and all of a sudden nobody's homeless They honestly believe if these corporations and others, individuals, just send more money to Washington, that'll fix everything. Robert and Brandon, he captured it perfectly. He sent in a text, said, how's that 60-year-old war on poverty worked out for us? It's a dismal failure. You know it, Robert. We all know it. The Democrats won't admit it. Oh, we just need more. We're close. Just need more. Send us more. We'll create more programs. Man, I think people are sick of it. And, and this just class warfare, this dividing people into the haves and the have nots and blaming those who achieved success for the people who did not. It's their fault. That's what they're saying here. If those corporations would just send more money in, we could fix everything. And their idea is just write checks. I just saw a tweet on the screen here. I'll see if I can find it during the break from Bernie Sanders, of course. And Joe Biden is asking for more money and he had a thing to sell. more money for Ukraine and Israel we're coming right back after fox news super talk news get ready
0: get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state you're listening to middays with Gerard Gibbert. here on Super Talk Mississippi
3: Welcome back, everyone. Hour 2 of Middays is live from the Element Well Studio. Don't forget, tomorrow I'll be at the Communiversity in Columbus. They'll be promoting the Forge, your career expo, as the Communiversity continues to educate and prepare students for high-paying career opportunities. Looking forward to that. And then on Thursday, the Gallo Show with guest host Lucian Smith. We'll be at the Mississippi Coliseum for MEC's, Mississippi Economic Council, that is, annual Hobnob event. You'll hear from candidates running for statewide offices, plus business leaders and more. Come join and celebrate the 75th year of MEC at Hobnob. Go to MEC.ms to register. On Friday, we're going to be at the Old Miss Banking School, or pardon me, School of Business Banking Symposium. This will be the third time I've done that one. Looking forward to that. For over 20 years, this event has been an important part of guiding our economy. That'll be at the Oxford Convention Center. And it's a full day, by the way. It starts out with Lucian Smith filling in for Paul Gallo on location, and then middays with Gerard, followed by Sports Talk Mississippi. We're going to be at Oxford on Friday for the Ole Miss School of Banking Symposium. School of Business, Banking Symposium. I keep um, misreading that, pardon me. The School of Business, the B-School as we used to call it when I was up there. Uh, we call the pharmacy school the P-School. Yeah, the P-School and the B-School. We're back in the Element Well Studio on the C Spire text line. Rusty says, Tate isn't serious either. He's been blowing smoke and dragging his feet. Why hasn't he taken some of our state surplus and help? Well, first, Rusty, the governor doesn't have the authority just to write checks out of the state surplus. He doesn't have the authority unilaterally to adjust taxes or spending. That has to come from the legislature. The governor has been firm in his goal of full elimination of the income tax. Firm. For some time now. We got that partially done, but... He continues to to indicate that he's for full elimination. we got partial reduction, and that was certainly welcome, but the governor supports full elimination, and he's been promoting that on the campaign trail. He's been making it known. That's, That's his stance. So he doesn't have the power just to, again... And we don't want the governor to. We don't want a governor to have the power just to dip into the state's assets and start allocating them out to the people, or anybody for that matter. That's got to be something that uh, would be enacted by the legislature. So hopefully we'll continue to address the the income tax situation in the state of Mississippi and, and whittle away at it, as we already have, We, uh, of course, are phasing it out as we speak based on legislation passed a couple of sessions ago. Of course, the left's all over the fact that income tax revenues are down. Well, yeah, because we cut it. So what's wrong with that? It's not like it's down and causing a problem for us to meet our spending obligations. Quite the contrary, we're still producing more revenue overall than we need. To meet our spending obligations, spending which was appropriated, signed into law by the legislature, signed into law by the governor. So that it's, I think it's a bit disingenuous to uh, to react that way. Yeah, sure, it cut taxes. It It thus revenues went down. Income tax revenues, by the way, sales tax revenues, the other. Uh, big source of income for the state from a, a general fund perspective they're up so we're still in really good shape and ultimately where we're going with this is uh, a we eliminated the 4% bracket and that, and now the 5% bracket starting next year will be reduced down to 4 over a 3-year period that's what was enacted into law we welcome that so he's darn serious is the governor about continuing to push for total elimination of the income tax. I've heard him say it. I've heard him say it at my house at a fundraiser. I've heard him say it on the campaign trail. Going to one tonight, by the way, in Rankin County that he's hosting. And I'm quite sure we'll hear that as one of his top priorities again. He's made that clear. So, uh, yeah, CC in Sanatobia says, "Karine Jean-Pierre, that would be the White House press secretary, was asked about the pro-terrorist pro- uh, protesters, and she says everybody has the right to free speech. But just last year, she said that they were closely monitoring Elon Musk and his acquisition of Twitter because people can't just say whatever they want. Well, I wonder if she likes me saying she's a hypocrite. Well, of course, uh, CeCe, because if you don't say... What aligns with uh, their philosophical viewpoints, well, you just can't say that. And often, as Rhino has pointed out, that's construed as hate speech, just the mere fact of, of uh, stating, I should say stating the fact that a man cannot bear a child is in some circles considered hate speech. If you miss gender or miss pronoun, heck, in some companies you get fired for doing that. It's crazy. Uh, practically every day you let poor old people know you don't care about them by griping about Medicare and Medicaid. That's on the ceasefire text line. Almost every day you're saying they need to be cut, even though if they were cut, it wouldn't affect the budget much. No, I haven't said that at all. That's, that's complete misrepresentation of what I have said.
2: All I've simply said is that... But that is case in point. You cannot even have a discussion... You're right without somebody hearing what they
3: want to hear just to get us upset and offended. Let me just let you know that I'm an old person. <laughs> I'm eligible for Medicare, okay? Um, I'm, I'll be eligible for Social Security in a few months. I paid into it, just like you guys have, a lot. Now it's time to derive some benefit from that. All I've simply said is... If you're serious about balancing the budget and beginning to chip away at the debt, unless you address Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, some twenty-something federal assistance programs, you're not going to get anything done. You can't accomplish anything. It's impossible. The math simply doesn't work. So what I've, I have what I've not said is that. Even if we cut them, it wouldn't affect the budget much. No, quite the contrary. That's not what I've said. What I've said is just minor cuts to discretionary spending, which is what this whole Speaker of the House ordeal is about. It's all about the way in which we appropriate money for discretionary spending. That's at the core of it. That's what Matt Gates said. I just have criticized him because he offered no alternative plan. What's your spending plan, Matt? Still hadn't. He even admitted it. I don't have a plan. I just think McCarthy's the wrong guy. Well, here we are, three weeks later. Now we're down to seven candidates. A couple have pulled out, I think, Palmer and Mueller, overnight. Got seven. Emmer seems to be the front runner. All I've said is, cut every dime of that. All $1.7 trillion. You see, $2 trillion deficit... $1.7 $1.7 trillion total discretionary spending. You see where I'm going there, folks? That means you're still $300 billion in the hole. If you cut every bit of it, no defense, none of the, the leviathan of, of agencies which it is, I can't even name them all, there's so dang many of them, have so many workers. Cut every penny. No Department of Justice, no EPA, no Department of Education, no ATF, no IRS, no State Department. Just go down the list. Cut every one of them and cut every dime out of the U.S. military's budget. No military. Get rid of it. We still have a $300 billion deficit. It's just math. It's always math. Nobody wants to think about that. Like this person, who totally misrepresented what I said. It's not what I've ever said. You've heard me say it a million times. I know you have. Have I ever said that?
2: No, and we've got a handful of textures that are like, you never said anything close to that.
3: Well, I appreciate that. And all, all I'm trying to do Paul is Paul and just, Radian,
2: I listen to you every day. You've never said that. But you have said that they need to be addressed. Common sense. Some people hear what they want to hear.
3: Yeah. And I, So I appreciate that, folks. I see that Tim and McGee... Uh, I appreciate all of that. Uh, so, it's, it's just math. That's all it is. It's the same thing with PERS. you got to do something. That's all. I'm not proposing what to do. I've got some ideas. There's some alternatives. But I know one thing. It ain't going to fix itself. Just like this budget. It's not going to fix by just sitting back saying, "Ah, I we'll won't worry about that later. i got to get reelected. I can't talk about that. On the all-hit-request line, it's These Eyes by the Guess Who. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. And
0: now, Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Edit On to the real part. Dino Mike On Super Talk, Mississippi. Wow! I feel good. I I wonder. I feel
3: Well, pardon me, that was my phone I dropped on the set desk here. So, uh, some news to pass on with respect to the Speaker of the House in Washington. It looks like it's Representative Tom Emmer, the Speaker-designate. The fifth and final round of voting Emmer defeated Mike Johnson of Louisiana. I'm not surprised. I, you know, I kept saying, watch this guy. He's considered a bit of a moderate, so I know that'll, that'll certainly aggravate some folks who really wanted more of a, a staunch, conservative firebrand. But again, I think you've got to keep in mind that many of these members of the House represent districts that could go either way. And they're trying to keep their seat. And honestly, I want them to keep it as well so that we can maintain control of the House. I think, Rhino, what often gets, I think, um, misconceived, shall we say, you hear the people say, hey, we got the House. Why aren't they getting anything done? Without giving regard to the fact that the Senate's under the control of the Democrats, and the White House is obviously under the control of a Democrat. And in this case, it takes three to tango. Got to have all three. If you want to pass meaningful legislation, got to have all three. But, so what do we get for Republicans having control of the House? Here's what we get you put the Democrat agenda on ice. It's more about blocking bad laws and bad policy, and, and bad, in some cases, nominees, especially when, if they get questioned on the House side before they go to the Senate for testimony. It's more about blocking, and that's what's happened. Now, unfortunately, we had some what I consider to be bad laws pass that received support from Republicans in the Senate. We've talked about that quite a bit, and the president yesterday was in Baltimore touting the Chips and Science Act and how he's investing in America. And some person who represents some group in Baltimore, it's it's kind of like a coalition between the public and private sector to boost the city's economy. Baltimore's in tatters, honestly. And he basically just sung the praises of the Biden-Harris administration for making this historic investments. And once again, that's just money we don't have. You can talk about how wonderful and great it is, and I'm sure people benefit all day long, but it's just being lapped onto the debt. It's money we don't have. Of course, that never, ever enters the equation in that decision-making process. Let's see. Do we have this money? Oh, it doesn't matter. Just sign here. That's how we roll. So it's Tom Emmer. On the C text line, Bobby from Monticello says, maybe Presley, who says he represents the working man, should start wearing a hard hat like Uncle Cliff did. Cliff Finch. I think uh, Price Wallace said the same. If he's running... For the working man, he needs to get out his Cliff Fitch lunchbox. Man, who could forget that? High Price? So back to this idea, Rhino, this texture that says, well, you've, you've got to grow up in poverty to really appreciate the plight of people who are impoverished. You've got to come from certain circumstances to be qualified to lead the state or serve in public office, period. Well, think about this. What's the largest industry in our state? Agriculture. Does that mean you need to be a farmer to be an effective governor? Really? That doesn't make any sense. So a, a person who doesn't come from the agriculture industry can at least appreciate and understand their issues, their concerns, and how to grow that part of our economy? The reality is, You've got to possess a broad cross-section of skills to be an effective public servant and, and especially a leader at the level of a governor. Broad spectrum of skills. Nobody possesses all of them. But what good leaders do is they listen to people who do have proficiency in certain areas. They seek their counsel and input to guide them in decision making. The fact that Mr. Presley grew up in a, in a single-parent home doesn't make him more qualified to serve as governor. Like I said, I'm, I'm sorry as can be about his loss. That's, that's terrible. No child should have to endure that. No doubt about that. But that doesn't give you some sort of special qualification to be governor, and to suggest that Tate Reeves grew up with a silver spoon, that's not true either. And, of course, there's... But the midwit Democrat voters lap it up. And so what if he did? Uh, Does that mean Donald Trump's not qualified to be president? He's... Widely According supported. to
2: the people that are going to vote for Brandon Presley, he, he never should have been president. It was Russia, Russia, Russia.
3: Oh, my gosh. That, that should just not enter into the equation. That has nothing to do with one's qualifications. You know, it's true to say that most people who are adjusted, productive adults did, in fact, have a stable home life. That's just fact. And that could come in many forms. But the fact is that um, I think both of these candidates passed that muster. I don't see that as an issue. What's at play here? And somebody asked me, hey, the governor must be, the polls must show the governor's close. You've certainly certainly been campaigning a lot for him lately on the show. It's really not about that. It's about my desire to see the state move forward and I don't happen to align with Mr. Presley's vision for the state. It's simple as that. And and I'm deeply concerned, deeply concerned about the influence of those from out of state. I do think Mr. Presley's more moderate than the rank-and-file, really left-wing, hardcore Democrat. I do see that. I believe that. But I also have concerns that he's accepted a lot of money from people who are way to the left, and they're going to expect something in return. Now, it's true that he can do little without the support of the legislature, and I don't anticipate the legislature is going to magically flip, and based on the primaries. I don't think the math even would support that. Flip to Democrat, where you could get Democrat Oriented legislation through the House, the Senate to his desk. I don't see that. So what we end up with, perhaps, is a stalemate. Well, that's not going to help us get the income taxes cut. It's not going to help us enact school choice, which I think should be high on the list. Uh, it's likely not to help us address the PERS situation, in my view. So if you look at if you look at the State's needs, and I still believe wholeheartedly, and this is arguably the chief reason I support the governor, that all of our most pressing issues are addressed most effectively with economic growth, expanding the economy. We need investment in the state of Mississippi. The governor's focused on that quite a bit. I've not seen a word from Brandon Presley about how he would create an environment that would be most conducive and attractive to investment, to new business formation, to expansion of existing businesses. I've not seen any of that. Am I missing that? All I ever see is, I grew up in Nettleton, I was a mayor, I cut taxes for people in Nettleton, and somebody asked, how can he do that? Yeah, so counties and cities do have purview over their ad valorem taxes. They do have control over that. They can't cut sales taxes, they can't cut income taxes, and there are no city and county income taxes, but they do have some control, uh, a broad control power, actually, over ad valorem taxes, property taxes. Uh, They can't control fuel taxes, for example. That's done at the state level. You pay that every time you pull up to the pump. Uh, Oh, that's great. But again, economic expansion. I can't say it enough. I just can't say it enough. That is what's so desperately needed. We have people on the sidelines with a low labor participation rate. We got jobs for them right now, but we can't seem to get them off the couch to go to work. I don't really know where they are in Mississippi, honestly, but we have a relatively low labor participation rate, and we've got fantastic students graduating from our awesome colleges, and they can't find work here. We need economic expansion. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio.
0: Mississippi. Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. It is on on Super Talk Mississippi.
4: One threw a party in the county jail. The prison band was there. They began to wail. The band was jumping and the joint began to swing. You should have heard those knocked out jailbirds.
3: We are back in the Element Well studio. Once again, Tom Emmer, Republican from Minnesota, appears to be the nominee for the Speaker of the House. Must secure 217 votes on the House floor. There are only 221 Republicans, so you can see the math there. Can't lose but a few. We'll see. If he can cross the finish line, can the Republicans be 100 percent behind a speaker candidate before they bring it to the floor? This is an embarrassment and could lead to Dems gaining more control on the ceasefire text line. I know they were trying to get some sort of pledge signed. I don't know if they got all to sign it or not, but that was the goal of those who were not voting for the nominee. Uh, We'll see. I'm not sure that at this point, if they've done some vote counting before they take it to the floor for the official tally, or not, I certainly hope so. But the real question is, this is Kelso in Ocean Springs, what is Presley going to do to keep boys from playing girl sports, which is so rampant across the state? which well, shouldn't be because there's a law against that. Legislation's already been enacted, which does prohibit biological males from competing, in female sports. Kelso, if you know some examples, share them with us, please, because that's uh, that's been enacted into law. What didn't make it into that bill, it got stripped out, was the prohibition of males from using female bathrooms and locker rooms. That still is outstanding as an issue, as an item, and the governor has indicated that He is uh, making that a priority to get that done. Something else he's mentioned is that the word woman occurs presently in state statute some 130 plus times. And the concern there, and I share it with him, is that we don't have a consensus on what a woman is anymore. We don't even have, we have at least one Supreme Court justice at the highest court in the land that cannot define a woman. Certainly did not, when asked, said, what'd she say, Rhino? I'm not a biologist. Oh, well, you have to be a biologist to define a woman these days, right? That's how loony it is. So I do have concerns that Mr. Presley would be aligned with uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, the Supreme Court Justice, who during her testimony in the Senate, when asked by Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, She seemed a little surprised when when the senator asked her, can you define a woman? And she goes, a woman? Remember that? And the senator said, yeah, a woman. Oh, I'm not a biologist. (laughs) What kind of answer is that from a member of the U.S. Supreme Court? I'm not a biologist. Well, I guess you can't be a member of the Supreme Court, right? According to the logic we've seen today, you don't know biology, you can't serve on the Supreme Court. Because that's what we've been told. Unless you grew up poor, you can't possibly understand economic issues. Because understanding the plight of the poor has nothing to do with whether or not you too were poor growing up. It has to do with how do we get you to participate in the great opportunities that this country and state offer. That's what it's all about. it's capitalism it's the private sector it's free markets how do we get you in, to participate it's here for you what did we miss where do we miss getting you on track for that that ought to be the focus not well let me see i'm going to give you some more money here i'm going to cut this cut that give you a check for this cut cut that bernie sanders here you go he said congress Cannot approve, in all caps, billions in a supplemental budget that only addresses critical emergencies around the world. Joe Biden, if you haven't heard, is asking for $105 billion for Israel, Ukraine, and the border. So he's playing the Republicans' hands here. You want money for border security? You're going to have to sign off on more money for Ukraine. Because they have leverage, and they can do that. He goes on to say, we have, Bernie Sanders, we have crises here at home, too. Here's what Mr. Sanders believes, Senator Sanders, are our critical crises. Child care, health care, housing, opioid addiction that need major funding now. Just more funding will fix that. And they must be included in the supplemental legislation being proposed to address these hotspots in the world and in our border." You see what I mean? This is the party of Brandon Presley. Nothing about crime. Nothing about the border. Nothing about inflation. Nothing. His idea of child care addressing that issue is here's more money for you. Healthcare, here's more money for you. Housing, here's more money for you. We're going to take it from this group, give it to that group. That's that's all. That's their sole purpose in life. Just to serve as the as the chief redistributors in the country. Send me to Washington so I can take it from these people and give it to those people. In this door, out the other. You don't pay your fair share.
2: The but top, somehow all the money that comes in doesn't wind up going out.
3: Right. Gets a little skimming. Patting the pockets of friends and so forth. Eric in Philadelphia, the Speaker of the House should be done before anyone leaves the work until they Name a speaker. Doesn't matter how long it takes. I'm good with that. Referring to Presley, uh, commercial about taking outside money. He's doing it. Men playing women's sports in this uh, is a non-issue in this campaign, says Dwight. But Tate's trying to nationalize the election, so I get it. Presley has an ad where he himself says he's not for it. That may be true, uh, Dwight, but again, the concern, and I think it's a valid one, is that he's accepting lots of money from people who are in favor of biological males who identify as a female or, frankly, for no reason whatsoever, participating in female sports. That is the concern. How can you overlook that? Unbelievable. Well, it is Dwight.
2: (laughs) I can't help but laugh at Dwight because I've gotten so far under his thin skin, he won't even use my name when he refers to me.
3: Unbelievable. I was being sarcastic, Gerard, says Kelso. I'm pointing out one of the focus areas of the current administration, which I find silly concerning its scarcity and lack of importance in a state like Mississippi. The, The problem is, Kelso, again, there are other things going on. Uh, in our schools that that I have been enlightened about. Uh, Some of it has to do with with counselors and their adherence, Uh, according to state law, with with the um, National Association of School Counselors, and that gets into all this pronoun and sex, gender identity stuff that is going on. Um, You're right. We have a law that prohibits crossover in sports, but... We have, uh, we have a candidate for governor who's accepting significant donations from people who oppose our law. Let's just be honest about it, and that's the concern. Let's see, I hate to break this to Mr. Presley, but the truth is everybody you meet on the street, everybody standing in line at Kroger has had tragedy in their life, not exactly like his tragedy, but tragedy nonetheless, says Ray and Gluckstadt. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, Ray. I, I really would like to drive this back to what it should be about, and that's policy and policy positions. Unfortunately, uh, it's gotten off the rails. I mean, that happens in politics, and uh, let's see my friend Sharon and Brandon. Uh, she sent me a text says, "Vote on facts, not on emotion." Presley is trying to play on uh, emotions once everyone to think he's a victim so he can relate to others. And the unfortunate reality is people do vote off an emotion and not. And that's why I'm trying to steer this thing back to the facts, just like the whole gender ideology stuff. I understand what he said as a candidate because he knows that that probably serves him best with voters in Mississippi. It's consistent with the views of most voters, Republican and Democrat. But again, he's taking a bunch of money. It's gaslighting, honestly. He's taking a bunch of money from people that don't share that view. And that's the concern. Presley says the most important thing in Mississippi is cutting my $29 car tag. <laughs> Good leaders have don't have to know everything, don't have to know everything on the ceasefire text line. They are successful when they surround themselves with people who do, J.B., on the ceasefire text line. Absolutely. Any successful corporate business CEO, business leader, will tell you the same. You can't possibly know everything. Yes, you are able to surround yourself. You are able to pick out good people to put on your team. And you rely on those people and you compensate them and treat them fairly for their value, contribution, and proposition to the company. That's that's the way that works. government's no different. No different whatsoever. Again, let's get back on policy. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio, final segment this hour. Then Natasha Srdach, co-host of America's Roundtable at 12.05.
0: what that means middays with gerard gibbert we'll do it live on super talk mississippi
3: On the ceasefire text line, Republicans have spent years catering to the far right to the alienation of moderate Republicans. This speaker mess is their fault. It's strategy playing out in real time. That's on the ceasefire text line. I would argue that that um, the far right wing of the party would, would contend just the opposite, that Republicans have been um, sort of accommodating, and placating the moderates in the party. That's where the whole rhino label came from. So no doubt, though, the the party's fractured. I would say more so than the Democrat party. It's, It's a little bit more factional in that regard. Let's just hope that we can get a speaker out of this deal and get going. Lane from Philadelphia says, Citizens of Mississippi are smart enough to see through Brandon Presley's lie is out of state donors will want something in return. And I agree, and that's what concerns me. It's 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 not that he's just way terribly far off base. Some of his his proposals are popular with Republicans such as cutting the sales tax on groceries, cutting car taxes. I mean, cutting taxes in general is not something you typically hear a Democrat candidate talk about. However, what it does pretty much do is ensure that you're not going to get income taxes cut we we, we got to have revenue from somewhere, and right now that's where it comes from. Again, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm concerned about PERS. Concerned about PERS, that problem ain't going away, and it's got to be addressed. And the folks know it. Folks in the Capitol know it. The governor knows it as well. And I will, I'll t- say this to you. I have a lot more confidence in a governor like Tate that's got the financial background addressing this issue than someone who doesn't. And Mr. Presley doesn't really have that benefit. Doesn't come from that world. So if you want to talk about addressing our most critical issues and how your experiences could play into that and be valuable in that, this is a big issue. You need somebody that understands how all that works and has an appreciation for potential solutions and I believe he does. I believe the governor does. I've talked to him about this issue. So I, I shared earlier, $345 million. Additionally, a year, will this five percentage point increase in employer contributions to PERS? That's that's going into effect, effective, next July 1, 2024 over a three-year period, and it will continue until the actuaries say, okay, that um, based on their annual, or it's it's even more than annual, but their calculations and their report, I believe, is annual, and they come out and assess just the overall financial health of the program when they say, okay, it looks like this is going to sustain it, this level of contributions. That's $345 million a year, Now, that's not all from the state. That's across the entire state. That includes uh, local and county governments, school districts as well, all of which participate in PERS. But that's going to require folks that have a deep understanding of finance and define public pension benefit plans. They're a totally different financial animal. Let's see here. What else? David says, Preach. Someone needs to train him. Oh, no. That's later. Preach. I got it. More free media for Presley from WDAM. They do it a lot down here. He's making a stop in Laurel on the campaign trail. Gary and the Berg just sent that on. Tim from two said. Must have says, been before his bus broke down. His bus broke down. Where is it? We had Somebody sent us a picture of it earlier. Is it Grenada? I think that's right, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Let's see here, looking uh, down some more. Agree, economic growth is the key. Jobs equal more money spent locally. Presley's trying too hard to be a down-home regular old guy instead of a puppet of the West Coast in D.C., says HP on the C Spire text line. Again, I I just want to focus on management of policy matters that are going to guide the state in a positive direction. The governor should be the most vocal proponent, cheerleader, ambassador for those agenda items to move the state forward. We've talked about that, and I think the governor has the right mindset there. I just fear that Mr. Presley will be heavily influenced by those who have a different approach and different ideas, a different strategy, a different agenda of how to run the state. Biggest thing is just get the heck out of the way and that means cutting government intrusion in our lives. We're coming right back with more after Fox News and Super Talk News. Welcome back, everyone. Hour 3, the afternoon portion of Middays, is live with you from the Element Well Studios. We welcome back to the program Natasha Serdach, co-host of America's Roundtable Radio Program and co-founder, International Leaders Summit. Natasha, good to see you again.
1: Good morning, Gerard. Thank you for having me.
3: You bet. Thanks for coming on. I know that uh, you have uh, sources of communication and information on the ground there in Gaza and Israel and the Middle East in general. And we wanted you to come on the program and and tell us what you can share with us on the latest. Uh, Of course, two hostages released yesterday by Hamas. I don't know that this was expected. I've read the accounts and seen a couple of interviews from the two israelis who were released and apparently it was quite the harrowing experience described it as hell on earth uh... what can you tell us
1: right we we heard about first two american hostages released a few days ago and uh, we haven't heard anything directly from them, but uh, the father and the husband actually said that it's going to take long time for the recovery. Uh, the most recent released two hostages, uh, which are Israeli elderly women, mm-hmm. uh, over 80, 86 years old. One of them described as a, as an experience is a terrible, uh, unbelievable experience where she was taken on a motorbike. Uh, hanging on one side with a head down on the other side with her legs between two men that were carrying, I mean, driving her through a certain area and then in a tunnel and she was uh, hit. And I mean, it's just uh, terrible to listen to that experience. So what we learned also recently is that the number of hostages has actually increased. The number was 200. Basically, now it's 222 hostages kept uh, captive in in Gaza by Hamas. Uh, Also, we know, uh, as we talk about recent events, that uh, uh, there were some uh, attacks on our U.S. bases that are in Syria and Iraq by Iran's proxies. And there's more of um, U.S. uh, military uh army uh, uh, actually navy uh, presence in the area and in one of that uh, there was uh, actually uh, uh, w- one of our army, uh, I mean air carriers actually intercepted or or knocked down uh, missiles coming from yemen which were actually uh, put, um, uh striked by Houthis which are yeah. also I mean, uh, actually supported by Iran. So what we see is that Iran is a culprit for all what is going on in the Middle East, uh, with their uh, proxies, terrorist groups, Hamas in Gaza Strip, uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, Houthi in Yemen, and uh, and also, you know, attacking our bases in Syria and Iraq.
3: You know, it just feels like that this president is engaged more in appeasement of Iran than anything that would deter them uh, from essentially financing these terror groups, which are serving as their proxy, I believe, Hamas, who are just barbarians. But shouldn't we be taking more serious actions, such as perhaps seizing and taking control of Iran tankers and, and vessels and perhaps prohibiting them from participating in the global Banking system, they're still able to do financial transactions and and actually enforcing the sanctions that are already in place. He just won't come out and make a very firm, stern statement uh, along any of those lines. What do you think?
1: Right. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's a there's a military side of it and a, and sanctions. If you talk about sanctions, we can go back to Obama era, basically, because we had very strict sanctions on Iran, banking sanctions and trade on oil uh, until Obama administration came into power. Then immediately they released one point seven billion dollars to Iran. Right. And uh, that same policies actually uh, during Trump's administration, we uh, we strengthened the sanctions and and it really pushed Iran in a way that we didn't see much of uh, any aggression going on and, you know, violent attacks as now in the Middle East. Then when Biden administration came into power, uh, they immediately started uh, actually reversed on policies of funding uh, Palestinian authority in, uh, in Judea and Samaria, which is called the West Bank. And also resuming funding for, for Gaza Strip. Uh, although we know, you know, people call it humanitarian aid, but. Uh, not that money doesn't end in the, in to serve the people. It right. goes to, you know, build the tunnels which is some 300 miles of tunnels underground in Gaza uh, plus getting all the military equipment which is used to attack Israel. So, uh, you know, and now uh, we learn that since Biden administration came into power, uh, there were some over 90 attacks on a U.S. military basis in the region, in Iraq, Syria, and, and it was actually just a handful of times that we responded so we're basically only doing a defensive action and not offensive as you said you know go to a capture to you know confiscate uh, to take you know a control of aggressively but we're just responding to their attacks so so we uh, as some of the generals have mentioned in, in recent recent reports there are two two parts of our of our response military response one is capability other is a will so the enemies have to see our capability which is there now with the military equipment military actually um, uh, air carriers in the region and uh, us our presence in the middle east which is unhi- heightened right now but do they see our will to respond meaning that's 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 a missing link that has to come from biden administration it's a weak leadership so we lost that peace through strength leadership that we had from reagan's time and what trump um, really strengthened the peace through strength now it's missing basically they don't see our will to aggressively uh, prevent. We have to. It's a deterrence. Deterrence, so that we didn't have to come to this point. We should have gave the signals and show the will. The will has to be perceived that we're ready to strike before we are attacked, yeah. so that we you know avoid situations like this.
3: I, I mean, I'd like to see the president deliver a message that says, "You lay one hand on an American, and, and uh, you're going to receive the wrath of all that American has." to respond and retaliate. I just haven't seen that. I, and I wonder, Natasha, if to some extent he this is out of deference to the far left of his party that still uh, is is uh, supporting Hamas in this conflict and not behind Israel. I wonder if it's trying to play the middle of the road here from a political perspective.
1: It is for sure, because there's a uh, uh, far-left progressive uh, were actually, you know, individuals and, and, and groups that were, uh, um, that were actually taken as a, as a voter power with Obama administration. Uh, in, Biden continued with that uh, uh, far left being part of Democratic, uh, you know, uh, uh, party. But another thing that he did is that he, uh, at the beginning of his, uh, administration, he, uh, had, I think Robert Malley is his name, mm-hmm. which is a, a against, I mean, anti-Israeli, pro-Iranian journalist right. who was in charge of, of negotiating with Iran. I mean, negotiating with Iran, whereby all sanctions were uh, gradually released. Iran just got $6 billion in a prison, uh, a prison exchange uh, swap. And, and it's actually able to fund all these proxies and terrorist groups in the, in the region. So basically, at this particular person who was a chief negotiator for Iran was just now under FBI investigation for providing secret information, actually, to Iran's uh, officials, as well as getting some of their pro-Iranian officials or pro-Iranian individuals into the Biden administration. So we have, you know, multiple risks and th- threats that we have to deal with because we have an enemy within now, within our administration, and and we're not able to respond adequately.
3: It's, un- it's unbelievable. Uh, I, I agree, but it, it just feels like the politics is at play here. And in my view... Um, Our president should never, or or any of our elected leaders that that, uh, make decisions in this arena regarding our national security, our national security should never take a back seat to politics, ever. I don't care what your party is, and that seems like what's happening here, trying to walk this fine line and appease multiple factions, I think is endangering this country and the world.
1: Right. I'm sorry, when you think about the Middle East, I mean, we had Abraham Accords that were that, that were that were actually uh, initiated by President Trump, and we had uh, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, Morocco, and Sudan joining, so Arab countries joining into normalization for the very first time, their relationships with uh, with Israel. It was on the verge when Saudi Arabia was almost I mean they were negotiations were going so well that we were expected the normalizations between Saudi Arabia and Israel which is an amazing development yep. in the Middle East yep. to to come to fruition Hamas attacks
3: yeah because i think they, they see our weakness and they and i think they are, one of their objectives was to uh to interfere with those discussions and and uh, those negotiations exactly Natasha exactly. I always Led appreciate you Iran. coming on thank you so much we'll talk to you soon thank you Natasha
1: Thank you so much, Gerard. Thank you for having me.
3: You bet. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio.
0: It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbett. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi, in the Element Well studio. Again, we're going to be remote tomorrow at the Communiversity in Columbus. And then it's MEC's annual Hobnob event on Thursday. Lucian Smith will be filling in for Paul Gallo, broadcasting live uh, from the Mississippi Coliseum. And then we're going to be at uh, Ole Miss. On uh, actually the Oxford Convention Center. That'll be on Friday all day. The Gallo Show, Middays, and uh, Sports Talk, Mississippi will be up there for the Ole Miss School of Business Banking Symposium. That's been going on for 20 years. I'm looking forward to that. You know, the Democrats like to cast themselves as For the hard-working family people, and people of color, and all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, they're the ones that you can count on. Except voters in the swing states, which are critical, of course, to the White House, they disagree by two to one. Two to one, according to a poll just run last week. And so there are more black and Hispanic voters expressing an interest in getting on board with a GOP candidate, maybe that has to do with a recent Federal Reserve report, as in recent as in last week, and it shows how minorities in this country have struggled under Joe Biden. Imagine that. You mean that inflation really hurts them too, because I think they'd be cool with it if it only affected those dirty, greedy, rich people, but it turns out it affects everyone. So after adjusting for inflation, the typical white family's income rose 1.3%. The report says, wow, they're actually outpacing inflation, that's what that means. But black and Hispanic families have felt the wrath of Joe Biden's economic policies, And their incomes are down. 1.6% for Hispanic families and 1.1% for black families. Wages for those minorities didn't keep up. And those for whites barely did. You blend them all together, and the whole thing's still upside down. Wow. What happened to all the equity? I mean, they were supposed to have this huge effort In policy, remember the executive orders day one, climate change and equity had to be central themes in every policy, in all of their governance. What happened to that? What happened to the Inflation Reduction Act and everything else Joe Biden's done, the Bidenomics, doesn't seem to be working. But yet they'll stand in front of you and tell you that Republicans aren't for minorities. They want to hurt minorities and only help this group. Yet it's the Democrats. This is from the Federal Reserve, by the way. That's a quasi-governmental agency under the Biden administration. This isn't some right-wing, tainted, tilted survey. This is from the U.S. Federal Reserve. This is their data. While families can cover expenses using wealth, particularly for black and Hispanic families, this is from the report, the gains in wealth were concentrated in housing, which is somewhat illiquid. Real average liquid wealth, which includes assets such as cash, checking, and savings accounts, did not grow much for Hispanic families and fell for black families. The fact a family's home might be worth 20 to 30% more than before is no consolation in the grocery checkout line. Truer words have never been spoken. Bravo to the Fed. Why doesn't this get discussed? He's failing the very people who entrusted him to help him. What has he done for him? And yes, you can attach Brandon Presley to this. He's in the same party. He generally supports the same policies. You have the same opportunities. They don't want you to think that. They they want to press this narrative that this boogeyman, white people, rich people are the oppressors, and everybody else are the oppressed. They're teaching it in our schools. They're teaching young people to believe this crap. And, of course, it is pervasive in the college environment. It's what CRT is all about. No, it's racial. It's a social construct. It's not really a product of individual biases, is racism. It's a social construct. It's built into, it's embedded in all of our institutions, our economic systems, our justice systems. No. And people are out there begging still for employees. Yet they're still on the sidelines. Five million. And by the way, that's across all races. It's not unique to any race. There's plenty of opportunity. And that's all you're entitled to. That's the bottom line. You're not entitled to equity. That's crazy. That's nonsense. It's an absurd idea. Yet, we have a president that embedded that word in his executive orders, day one. And he goes out and assembles a cabinet. And that was all about equity. That wasn't about who's the best for the job. The best way to grow our economy and create opportunity, more opportunity for more people, so they can ascend the economic ladder, is to get back to focusing on merit and shift away from this idea that outcomes should be determined based on these physical characteristics. We've got to return to unapologetically the pursuit of excellence and, and where merit and value and performance factor into these social and economic outcomes. Those should be the key determinants. That's how we built this great country. Not based on, okay, we've got to make this one equal to that one, and equal to this one and that one. And some bureaucrats figuring that out. That's nonsense. It's destructive. It's unproductive. I saw a report where, crazy as this may be, I kind of welcome the idea that In California, they have decided that learning cursive writing, cursive instruction, must be included in first through sixth grade. I like that. This is a California law signed last week by Governor Newsom. I'm shocked, honestly. But just north of California, in the state of Oregon... They're going in a completely different direction. You see, they have eliminated the requirement that to graduate from high school, a student should have to prove the basic mastery. Oh, no. Can you say that anymore? The word mastery? Is that a cancelable no, term? No, 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 no. Basic mastery of reading, writing, or math. You don't say. You got to be able to read, write, and do math. Basic math to graduate from high school. Well, Oregon essentially erased those requirements in 2020 during the pandemic. And here's the reason. They say it imposes a particular burden on, quote, students of color, students learning English as a second language, and students with disabilities. So how are we serving those students by lowering the standards? That's just crazy. That's are those
2: students that are learning English as a second language suddenly going to graduate high school and walk out into a world where everything is catered to them?
3: Negative. Maybe and it's they, not doing a dang thing for them. So here, here's the And you know that place is a burden. You know this, right? It places a burden on the schools. Think about it. you got someone in your classroom that wasn't born and raised here, did not learn just the basics, Constructs of communication of the English language, which most of us learn when we're little children. Because we hear it. That's the way we learn from our parents who speak it, and others, adults, and other older kids. We're just exposed to it. We learn it. By the time you get to the first grade, you can communicate. Or even kindergarten. You can do basic communication. But if you just popped into the country, and you came from another country, most of which is illegal, and they show up in our schools, and now we're burdened with having to teach them English as a second language. And you're right, and it's a it's hugely disruptive. And you want to help them, man, these kids. You want to help them. You want to you want to see to it that they get a good education. But it's a burden. It's a it's an imposition. We're coming right back with. Half an hour on Middays in the Element Well Studio.
0: We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: What?
3: Who could forget that from Animal House? <laughs> Belushi, Flounder, Toga, Toga, yeah, Toga, Toga, and then it was Gator. Remember, they had to get on <laughs> Gator. <laughs> oh, it was so awesome. Uh, Let's see here on the ceasefire text line. Paula Meridian says, I guess my privilege was to start a job at 15 years of age. I did have good parents, though. Some would say my parents are my privilege. No, if you didn't have good parents, that's on your parents, possibly theirs. So, interesting uh, point, Paul. If you've ever seen any of these privilege walks, you ever watched any of those, Rhino, that, that are conducted by numerous organizations? And 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 what essentially happens is is you you step forward uh, if you answer affirmatively to the questions asked. And that is one of the questions. Did you have two parents? Boom. You got privilege. Are you Christian? Boom. You got privilege. Are you white? You got privilege. A series of questions. I can't remember them all. Heck, I think it was Home Depot. You know, they, they had a serious woke phase and they produced documents that showed, okay, this is privilege and this is not, sort of stuff, that they required all their employees to study, to be instructed on. I wish we just get rid of all that stuff because it it starts out, and I think it influences... It trains people, even at a young age, to think you just can't make it. It's because of these people over here, the ones that have privilege, they're keeping you down, they're holding you back. You can't make it. That's what they're teaching. And yeah, that starts to starts to make you believe it over time, does it not? When adults are telling young people there, the adults are kind of conditioned to believe, or pardon me, children are conditioned to believe what adults tell them. They should. Responsible parents normally teach their kids that. But you've also got to teach them when to be leery and suspect. But but that's, that's the left's narrative. I still totally believe, and I saw an article about this, that I felt a bit vindicated in a statement we made here, if you remember, Rhino, which was, this whole DEI movement, that's behind these protests we're seeing on college campuses in favor of, in support of Hamas. There's no question about it. A um, So I got an article, it just came out yesterday. This is a... A terminated, a fired DEI administrator at a college wrote an op-ed. I didn't catch it, but it was in the the New York Post last week. I got it from this article. Said toxic DEI. Now, this is a fired DEI administrator that finally saw the light and said, this is crazy. Toxic DEI ideology deliberately stokes hatred toward Israel and the Jewish people. No doubt. That's where it's coming from. I guess they're not brown enough. She worked at a college in California, and she objected to some of the anti-racist and gender ideologies that the college wanted her to advocate for and promote in her role as a DEI administrator. She said she made the mistake of trying to foster an inclusive environment for all, including Jewish students. I say again, we don't need DEI organizations. We don't need offices that are focused on that. We need maybe one person focused on exclusion. That would be involved in any scenarios or situations where a person or a group were excluded. Not to go out of your way to try to include. Because forced inclusion doesn't accomplish squat. It makes people, honestly, more resentful of what they're trying to accomplish. I think it stokes the worst in people. Because you're trying to force it on them. And I got questioned when I said here on the show, it can happen naturally. I've experienced it. I've witnessed it. And there's some left-wing trolls out there on Twitter that said, what does he mean by that naturally? I mean by not forcing. As the Biden administration, the Democrats, and countless organizations, private and public sector in this country have tried to do, you will hire this person because of their physical attributes. You will promote this person. You will give this person better grades. Remember the UCLA accounting professor that was instructed by the administration. You will give more points to the minority students in your class. It doesn't matter if they got the questions wrong or not. In other words, subjective grading of objective tests and questions. DEI is built on this belief that the world is divided into two groups of people, oppressors and oppressed. It's got nothing to do with making sure that everybody has a seat on the table. It's got to do with dividing. These are the privileged people, the oppressors, these are the oppressed. And you know why? Because there's money to be made in it. That's why. It's a shakedown. It's a total shakedown. What does that say about humanity in general? That, hey, unless you're forced... You just can't be fair and virtuous and righteous? You have to The government or some other authority figure has to force it on you? Well, that doesn't achieve anything. Unbelievable. Paul says, oh yeah, I forgot my other privilege. That was to join the Air National Guard when I graduated from high school. Unbelievable. Sacramento passed a law which allows children 12 and up to leave the home. State takes them. Yeah, I think that's on the ceasefire text line. What what I saw about that was it's children who are seeking some sort of protection from parents who would object to them transitioning through medical treatment, their gender, and they can seek sanctuary in homes. And... Those who operate those facilities do not have to inform the parents that they're in their custody, in their care, being taken in the home. That makes no sense, in my view. But, of course, the left believes that government should raise your kids, that parents do not have the rights to determine what their children learn or any other aspect of their life, such as a child just says, I want, to go, I want to go mutilate my genitals and be a different sex. I want to be referred to by a different name and pronouns. I want to participate in sports that don't align with my biological gender. Nope. The government, in some cases, on the left, they want to intervene in that. It's like child abuse, if you want to allow them. It's just the opposite of what you think it ought to be. This is what concerns me about anybody... With a D next to their name, ascending to a high level of power here in the state, it's legitimate. I'm white and built my company from the ground up on the ceasefire tax line many years ago, and now I serve some of the most elite. Now, does that make me privileged? Yeah, it's crazy, and it and it's and it's no different than Mr. Presley trying to tie Tate Reeves into being this this silver spoon white elite. Um, candidate who only concerns himself with uh, an inner circle of, of people of affluence. Which is just completely untrue. Because the policies don't support that idea. The policies don't. Such as elimination of the income tax. Heck, in the state of Mississippi our income taxes aren't terribly progressive like the federal taxes are. Most everybody pays state income tax. That's not an idea that would only support those at the top of the income scale. That's just simply not true. And we still have a corporate income tax to boot. So that's that's completely false in my view. Uh, You know, supporting school choice and expanding those options, in fact, that that supports and uh, provides benefit to more on the bottom of the income scale that, are unfortunately, are, are tethered based on their address to failing schools. So how can you say that? the The affluent don't need that. They can move. They're mobile. Or they can afford to send their children to private schools. It's those that are at the lower end of the spectrum that need a choice, but yet It's the other party that doesn't want them to have that choice. Incredible. We're coming right back with a final segment on middays. We're in the Element Well studio.
0: Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Midday's final segment in the Element Well Studio. Gary in the Berg says, Red states have to remain red or there will be nowhere to go. Mississippi can't afford a governor who aligns himself with the Socialist Democrat Party, too. Oh, pardon me. Too many conservatives are fast asleep, and apathy could well end that. So many have taken for granted. So we got to get out and vote. That's what that really means, in my view. Kevin McCarthy... Said the quiet part out loud, Jerry and Waynesboro says. In his mind, the central quality of a candidate for speaker of the House is what they will do for the lobbyist and special interest across the street from congressional office buildings. What an off-putting and debasing way to evaluate leadership. That's uh that's interesting. It's not privilege, it's being blessed on the ceasefire text line. Yeah, I mean fact is we don't always get to pick our lot in life. That's just, I think when I was in, as I recall, when I was in grade school, Catholic grade school, that's what we were taught in catechism was, you know, it all started when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. God said, you're going to have to go live an earthly life. Prove you're worthy. And there are no guarantees. Yeah. Uh, Some of us just have different situations. I mean, think about just your health, sickness, illness, loss of a loved one suddenly, abruptly. You you can't, can't predict that. You just don't know. But the best we can offer is, I think, what we have in this country, which is equal opportunity, not equal outcomes. And i fight like hell to ensure Everybody has that opportunity. That's really should be the core function of government, if you think about it. Everything from the border to law enforcement to defense of the nation against the bad guys that want to blow us up, every bit of that is protecting that opportunity. It goes back to the Declaration of Independence, the statement that Joe Biden can't ever get right. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Key word being pursuit. Right, exactly. You have the opportunity to pursue happiness. You're not granted, guaranteed happiness. Same with our free speech. You're not protected from speech that, I don't know, might offend you, might trigger you. But you do have the right, and it is protected, that you can offend other people. Thank God. Thank God for that right. I'm not sure another country has such, honestly. If you look at all the crap that's going on, even in Europe, and we have the left, right? That's, that's a key, key element of their narrative on privilege and decolonization is because our country was settled by Europeans for the most part. But in many European countries, certain words and statements and communications can get you in trouble, legally, even to our, in our, to our north, our neighbor, in Canada. They've enacted such. It's crazy. Man, oh man. Let's see. You, uh, good morning. You would not believe how many students at Morton Skills are from other countries. Yeah, it's probably because, I would think... I've heard this as well. I'm just guessing here because of the poultry processing around the area, which I know has lots of workers in it that uh, that do not speak the language. Their families don't. Yeah, I, I know. And I, I've talked to teachers. My daughter was one. That It's difficult, as you can imagine. I've seen some situations where it's been reported in California. You've seen this. Like, you'll have 11 languages in one classroom. Insane. That's insane. Now, this, it's not the students' fault, and their children. You want to help them, you want to do right, but let's start by closing the damn border. That's where it's got to start, because we don't have the resources to accommodate every possible situation like that.
2: Well, that's the problem, is the left is full of pie-in-the-sky Dreamers that think, well, if the government just has enough power, we can all live like Kardashians. What well, they don't realize is in reality, with the limited resources on planet Earth, although they may seem unlimited to the midwits and simple minded, with the limited resources on the planet Earth, you can't all live like Kardashians. And if the government has its way and imposes equality on everyone, you're going to be worse off than you are.
3: We all lose. There's no doubt. We're all miserable. On the ceasefire tax text line, before we get out of here, Stephen Starkville says, over 50 years of bigger government and replacing the family unit with substance has created a culture of dependency that we'll, we will unlikely be able to claw back from. Freedom and thrive and government dependency can't coexist. I really uh, enjoy your show and perspectives. Thank you for serving Mississippi in this manner. Appreciate that, Steve. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, folks, we're out of time here today. We're going to be up in Columbus at the Communiversity tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.